speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 67 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to look at episodes 10 and 11 of season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. 3 and 1, and George Reeves' directorial debut in The Brainy Burrow. And after this, folks, it'll just be one more episode of my Adventures of Superman coverage, and that'll be next week when I finish the last two episodes of the series. You know, I know I've said it again, and it bears repeating. It's almost hard to believe that we're this close to the end of my coverage of the Adventures of Superman. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into this week's episodes. But before we get to that, there is some feedback to address. I have two letters this time. The first is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Podcast, episode 61, in which I talked about the stolen elephant and Mr. Zero. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Even though, as you said, the stolen elephant and Mr. Zero are far from the best episodes of the, of the Adventures of Superman, there are still things to like in them. Like you, when I hear Haley's Circus, I think of the flying Graysons and their tragic fate. It is a shame that there is no such mention in the stolen elephant, but as you say, this isn't a Batman show. It would also have been wonderful, although again, as you mentioned, beyond the special effects capability of the show, to have seen Superman flying Susie the Elephant into the big top before an audience of ecstatic kids. As for Mr. Zero, I'm probably less fond of this one than you are, but it still has Superman in it, so I won't complain. You called on me to find out which of the munchkins in The Wizard of Oz was portrayed by Billy Curtis. As best as I can tell, in the Ding Dong the Witch is Dead number, he sings the line, and oh, what happened then was rich. You may also be interested to know that before The Wizard of Oz, he actually had the lead hero role of Buck Lawson in the 1938 movie The Terror of Tiny Town. The first, and possibly only, all singing, all dancing, all midget western. And uh, Dave provided a YouTube link in his letter, so I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Looking forward to Season 6, Live Long and Prosper, Dave McElvenny. You know, I really don't have much to add to Dave's letter. You know, the Stolen Elephant and Mr. Zero, you know, they are what they are. as kind of a lot of Season 5 is. So, like I said, not really much else to say about those particular episodes. So, going to move on from there, I have another letter... That, that just came in. Uh, this is from Kirk Greenfield. And this is more of a general letter. I believe Kirk is a new listener to the show that I picked up when I moved over to the Two True Freaks Network. And Kirk writes, his subject is, Last Few Adventures of Superman. In an amazing coincidence, the several episodes that you have been covering in the beginning of Season 6 are the sum total of all episodes I ever saw of Adventures of Superman. I recall seeing them as a child on TV, even though I was born in 1956, so it must have been in rerun or syndication that I caught The Magic Secret and Divide and Conquer, The Mysterious Cube and The Atomic Captive. But I also do recognize the titles of The Superman Silvermine, as well as the plot or resolution for The Big Forget. I wonder if that last one is a play on the title The Long Goodbye or The Big Sleep in detective novels of the period. For those of us who came late to the party, can you tell us again why they changed out actresses for Lois Lane? Also, how many Inspector Hendersons were there? Did they substitute another character when the actor died? Alright, I'm gonna stick a pin in Kirk right there, and uh, I'm just gonna mention that I'm gonna address his questions one at a time. One, I don't know if uh, The Big Forget was a play on The Long Goodbye or The Big Sleep. It could have been, but... As, you know, writers kind of like to play on those things when they name episodes of movies or TV shows. As far as the changeover in the actress who played Lois Lane, as many of you know, and have heard me talk about before, Phyllis Coates played the role of Lois Lane in season one of The Adventures of Superman. And season one was filmed before the show had a sponsor. I mean, there's that famous story about how George Reeves' agent was basically, and Jack Larson's agent too, basically told their respective clients to... Do the show, take the money, because no one's ever going to see it. And the show, they they filmed Superman and the Mole Man and the other 24 episodes of season one, and there was no sponsor until Kellogg's picked it up, and then it appeared. And lo and behold, the show was a hit. However, so much time had passed 
The first season of The Adventures of Superman was filmed in 1951, but season two wasn't filmed until two years later in 1953. And when the cast was called back to film season two, Phyllis Coates was no longer available. They got everyone else back, but Phyllis Coates was either unwilling or unable to come back to the show. I'm not necessarily sure which, so that was why they went back to Noel Neal to play the role of Lois Lane. As far as Inspector Henderson goes, there was only one Inspector Henderson. Robert Shane played Inspector Henderson from season one until the end of the show. He kind of disappeared for a little bit in season two. He didn't really show up that much in that season, but he he started making more uh, regular appearances once we got to the color episodes. And the only substitution for Inspector Henderson was in season one in the episode The Human Bomb, where the role of Deputy Inspector Hill was created because at that time Robert Shane was unavailable as he was under investigation by by the uh, House uh, Un-Americans Activities Committee. So that was the only time that I know of that Henderson was substituted. His absence in season two could have been for much the same reason. But whatever problem he he had with that committee must have been cleared up by the time they filmed season three. And from the story I heard, he and George Reeves were great friends. And it was George Reeves who actually went to bat for Robert Shane when it came time to get his character back on the show. So, And there were no actor deaths during the course of the show. The only actor death was obviously two after season six. John Hamilton died while season six was airing on television. So if the show came back for season seven, it was the showrunners were planning to bring back Pierre Watkin, who played Perry White in the Kirk Allen movie serials. As either Perry White or Perry White's brother, that is unclear. I've heard Perry White's brother, but obviously all of those plans went out the window when George Reeves died in 1959. All right, so back to Kirk. Have you seen Hollywoodland and what did you think of it? I've always wanted to see it, having heard that it deals specifically with George Reeves' suicide and the filming of the hit show Adventures of Superman, but I never caught it. Would you recommend it? Perhaps you could do a special review of it as you reach the end of Season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. That would be the most appropriate time to comment upon it, I would think. Alright, I'm gonna put a pin in the letter again. And, yes, I have seen Hollywoodland. I saw it in the theaters when it came out in 2006, but that was the last time that I've seen it. So, we are going to take a look at it two weeks from now in Episode 69. Bob Fisher and I are planning to do a wrap-up of the series, and... We're going to discuss Hollywoodland as part of that. I kind of got back and forth in when I was going to deal with Hollywoodland. If I would deal with it at the end of the coverage of The Adventures of Superman or if I'd wait until 2006 when the movie's release kind of came up in the chronology. But I'm going to do it. We're going to do it here. And we're definitely not going to do a kind of a cover it the way we cover The Adventures of Superman. You know, because there's a lot of it that really doesn't apply to George Reeves. There's a lot that... What Hollywood then really is is the story of this detective who is investigating the death of George Reeves and the... Uh, and we get clip clips of uh, scenes of Ben Affleck as George Reeves and it does cover the death of George Reeves in a good way, I believe. I mean, if you're interested in the life of George Reeves and all that stuff, you know, it has some stuff that you would like, but it really is a story about this... Uh, Detective who's investigating George Reeves' death and life. So, I mean, a lot of the, you know, the so-called legends of George Reeves are in this movie. I personally can't vouch for the historical accuracy of the film, but we're going to look at, look at the George Reeves-related stuff mostly. I think when Bob and I talk about Hollywoodland, we're going to kind of leave out a lot of the uh, story about the uh, detective. We'll just kind of focus on the George Reeves stuff and how it presents the uh, death of George Reeves. You know, the... Other storyline involving the detective and his failing marriage and his kid, you know, that's stuff that doesn't really pertain to the George Reeves issue, so. I mean, if you're interested in the life of George Reeves, you know, give it a check. I mean, I'm sure there are worse ways to spend two hours. I haven't watched it yet for the show, and I'm going to be watching it soon in the next few weeks just to uh, get myself uh, caught up on it, because like I said, I haven't seen it in uh, since it came out in theaters. Back to Kirk. I just wanted to drop you a line and say how much I enjoy your banter with Bob Fisher and this trip down memory lane since you joined the Two True Freaks Radio Network. Sincerely, Kirk Greenfield. And Kirk is the co-host of the Imperious Rex Confessions of a Serial Surfer Invader podcast. 
So I'd like to send out a special thanks to Dave and Kirk for writing in. I encourage anybody listening, new and old listener alike, to uh, write in and tell me your thoughts. You can reach me at manofscreen at gmail.com. So with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with 3-in-1. Hang around, folks. On Saturday, June 17th, podcasters from the DCTV Podcast Network are gathering together for our third annual live charity fundraising event. This year, we'll be raising money for the World Wildlife Fund, the world's leading conservation organization that works in 100 countries to protect endangered species and critical habitats. If you'd like to donate and be entered into a raffle to win prizes, head over to www.worldwildlife.org slash go to slash DCTV podcasts. And make sure to listen on June 17th at Mixler.com slash DCTV podcasts. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into 3 and in 1. Original broadcast date was April 7th, 1958. Writers were Wilton Schiller and Whitney Ellsworth. Director was Lou Landers. Guest cast included Sid Tomac as Harmon the Great. Rick Vallon as Pellini, the human fly, Buddy Bear as Atlas, the strongman, and Craig Duncan as Tex Dawson. Now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A desperate Tex Dawson is in the office of Daily Planet editor Perry White. You mean to say you've got to close your circus, Tex? Somebody took my operational fund out of my safe. As clean as a whistle. No money, no circus. And the police have no idea who might have done it? Not a fingerprint. Not a clue of any kind. I've just been plumb stolen out of business. Circus is my life. My whole life. Without it, uh, just nothing. Suppose we could recover the money for you. <laughs> well, that'd be mighty fine, ma'am, but police have tried. And they haven't come up with a thing. So, in one more week, no more circus. Yeah. It isn't much time. This mysterious theft has baffled Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson and his men. The Daily Planet's leaning pretty hard on the police department, Mr. White. All we do is print the news, Inspector. Five sensational robberies in three days just can't be ignored, you know. Yeah, you're right, of course, and I'm just trying to save my own face. If I don't get some action pretty soon, the commissioner's going to have me on the carpet. Well, I don't understand it. We know these crimes are committed, of course. Just seems impossible. How can you explain anyone opening these burglar-proof safes with such ease? There's only one man in the country who might be able to do it. And he's been in state prison for the past eight years. Yes, but even if he weren't in prison, how would he get at these safes? That's the most puzzling thing about these robberies. There are plenty of good second-story men around. But what kind of a man can burgle a place on the 32nd story? Harmon the Great is the world's best escape artist. This also makes him an expert safecracker. Pellini, the human fly, can climb the walls of any building with ease. You know it's bad luck to whistle in the dressing room? Who needs luck? We've got luck. Yeah, sure. We take the money, the show closes, so we're out of a job. There's no percentage. Look, what we took from Mr. Tex Dawson's safe is chicken feed compared to what we're going to take from now on. And we won't have to wait until the circus closes before we can start. We'll do our real work every night after the performance. Huh. Right in our own line. I am the world's greatest escape artist, right? Of course. Ball street jackets, handcuffs, safes, anything. Everybody knows you're the greatest. By the same token, I can break into anything. Yeah. Robbing Mr. Dawson's safe proved that. Correct. There's just one trouble. Most of the safes and vaults on ground floors are very well guarded. I'm beginning to understand. I am the world's greatest human fly. Absolutely the greatest. Therefore, you could climb the side of any building, enter through the window, then lower the rope and pull me up. And you can open the safes? Just like that. Harmon is pulled up by Pellini with a rope in order to break into the vaults. After being captured by Superman, Harmon is questioned by Inspector Henderson. It's a frame-up. We don't even know who you are. Why should we want to frame you? How should I know? Maybe you needed a pigeon for a recent series of crimes, or maybe it wasn't the police at all. And just what do you mean by that? All I know is that I was walking down the street one night and... Somebody grabbed me from behind. The next thing I knew, I was with Superman on the 17th floor of a building. Are you accusing Superman? I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just telling you what happened. Well, if you're so innocent, why won't you give us your name? I explained that. 
I'm a respectable businessman, and I don't want to embarrass my wife and family with a scandal. You were caught red-handed at the scene of a crime, and you're not going to be released until you give a few answers. Well, if that's your attitude, Inspector, I have nothing more to say. Well, I've uh, been up with him all night, and that's as far as I've gotten. He keeps on saying that Superman must have flown him up to the room, or how else would he have gotten there? Later, the circus performer breaks out of his cell to set a new plan into motion, one that could distract Superman long enough for him and Polini to commit the crime of the century. Polini and Harmon have recruited circus strongman Atlas. Come in, Atlas. Where's job? You tell me you have a job for me. I do, Atlas, I do. Polini and myself have sort of formed a detective agency, and we'd like you to work with us. Atlas, no detective. Atlas, the strongest man in the world. Sure, I know. But what are you going to do when the circus closes? I work. I know, I checked up on you. You've registered with an agency for babysitters. <laughs> Atlas, put him down! I'm sorry. Atlas don't like for people to laugh on him. Then forget this job as a babysitter and come to work with us. After a while, we might even let you wear a badge. Yeah. Okay. What do I do? Well, the first thing we do is... Their next case will be the Cityside Loan Company on the 17th floor of the Mallory Building. Atlas is told that Harmon and Polini will take the money out of the vault to prevent thieves from taking it. However, Atlas is needed to bend the bars on the security door. He does so before the trio makes a getaway. Superman arrives afterwards to find Atlas's handiwork. Inspector Henderson also sees this. He believes the Man of Steel has turned to a life of crime and is forced to arrest him. Superman, what are you doing here? Oh, I just dropped by, Inspector. When did you get here? Just a moment ago. Did you see anyone here? No. Did you do this? Why, no, Inspector. It was this way when I arrived. Well, you know, these bars are built so they can't bend very easily. I don't know of anyone who could do this but you. I'm sorry, Superman, but I'll have to place you under arrest. All right, Inspector. I guess you will. Things don't look good for Superman, and Inspector Henderson is confused by his turning himself in so willingly. You were found at the scene of the crime. The bars were bent in a manner requiring super strength. The safe was opened by a master cracksman, or by someone who saw the tumblers in combination with his X-ray vision. And I was on the top floor of a building, in a room that could only be entered by a window. Like I say, there's only one thing wrong with this plot. Where's the loot? You threw it out the window to your confederates down below. Oh, I did. To whom did I throw it? Well, who knows? Uh, Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Clark Kent, maybe. Now, look, Inspector, you don't really believe this drivel, do you? <laughs> of course I don't, but it takes the commissioner off my back for a few minutes. Ah. And you also must have had some reason for letting me arrest you without any argument. That's right. Now, somebody obviously wanted me out of the way, so they arranged this crime to look as though I'd done it. But how was it done? Well, how, we don't know who we do. Obviously, it's the man who escaped from your jail. Now, if we pretend to go along with his plans, Inspector, maybe he'll trip himself up. Now, that's a long shot. Yes. Maybe we can even help him a little. Help him? How? By setting a trap high in the sky where our man obviously likes to work. For example, uh, the new Chapman building on 4th Street. That should be about completed now, isn't it? It is completed. They placed the flagpole on top of it today. Good. Now, if we could just arrange to get a certain story in the next edition of the Daily Planet, that shouldn't be too difficult. Here's Lois Lane now. <laughs> I think this is the biggest miscarriage of justice no, I've ever no, heard of. No, 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 Miss Lane. You mustn't blame the good inspector. He's only doing his duty. And you must admit, on the face of it, I look pretty guilty. Oh, now, that's ridiculous. And everybody on the paper is working hard to prove it. Except Clark. Nobody's been able to find him. Oh, I'm sure you'll find that he's doing the best he can. But you can be a great help to me, Miss Lane. Me? How? Well, simply by publishing a little squib to the effect that the ball on top of the flagpole in the new Chapman building is made of solid gold. Solid gold? Polini and Harmon are already planning the theft of the flagpole ball when, and convince Atlas that Superman stole it from, window, from widows and orphans. Polini leaves to inspect the Chapman building as Atlas leaves. Harmon is now alone examining the stolen goods in his trunk. Suddenly, Jimmy Olsen arrives. He's doing a story on what the performers will do should the circus close. Jimmy's presence worries Harmon as the cub reporter opens the escape artist's chest repeatedly. 
He has just promised Jimmy a scoop on all his tricks, starting with the famous trunk escape. Jimmy is placed in a straitjacket and put inside the box, not realizing he has helped harm him with the means of eliminating him. Lois has revealed to Superman and Inspector Henderson about Jimmy's circus story. Well, Clark's still missing. We're a bit short-handed on this flying burglar story. When Mr. Kent's trying to get a hold of Jimmy, take him off the feature till Clark gets back. Well, what feature is that, Miss Lane? Always interviewing the circus performers, you know, to see what they're going to do when the circus closes. Like the, oh, tattooed man and the escape artist and how they're going to make a living. <laughs> well, I hope they don't turn to crime. My job is tough enough without having an escape artist in jail. Escape artist? Inspector, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm thinking I've already had an escape artist in my jail. That's right. That's how all those safes were opened so easily. And those bent bars? That was the strong man. Uh, the 30-story work? Pelini, the human fly. Well, how do you like that? They took three men, put them together to make one imitation Superman. Hey, wait a minute. Jimmy may be with him right now. I'd better go call the office. Inspector, can you get me out of here? I'll get a court order today. No, wait a minute. There, there may not be time for that. Um, would you mind if I escaped? Well, I can't give you my official permission, but uh, I can turn my back. Thank you. Jimmy might be in danger. Atlas has dropped the trunk containing Jimmy into a tank full of water. As he, Polini, and Harmon leave for the Chapman building, Superman manages to free the cub reporter from the box before the water can overcome him. Now that he's safe, Jimmy is to go with Lois to the Chapman building. Atlas and Polini have knocked out the guard and taken the golden ball at the tip of the Chapman building's flagpole. The night watchman is actually Superman. He talks to Atlas as Polini descends to the street where Harmon is located. After a brief confrontation, the Man of Steel tells the strongman that Harmon and Polini tricked him. This angers Atlas, who hurls the colored sphere at the escape artist and human fly. Superman brings his burly ally down to Earth. Harmon and Polinia are then greeted by the enormous hands of the giant man knocking their heads together. Thanks to the powerful Atlas, Superman has brought another gang of evildoers to a rightful and just end. Jimmy even gets a picture of the action for the Daily Planet's front page. Tex Dawson has returned to Perry's office. That is a good picture, Olsen. And partly on the strength of it, the police have released Atlas. Golly, that's great. So he can stay with the circus. And now that you've recovered your money, Mr. Dawson, you won't have to close your show. Oh, I'm afraid it's not that easy, ma'am. Two of my star performers turned out to be bad apples. The show won't be much without them. Well, can't they be replaced? Oh, sure. A couple of great acts I could get over from Europe. But by the time I could manage it, I couldn't make my play dates I contracted for. Well, Mr. Dawson, tell me, uh, how much time do you have? A couple of weeks. What would you think of Superman uh, as a replacement for those new acts? <laughs> he'd be the greatest attraction imaginable, but I hardly think he'd do it. Oh, I think he will, Mr. Dawson. In fact, I can almost assure you he will. Golly, Clark, won't that be wonderful seeing Superman in the circus? Hey, we can all go together. Oh, I'm sorry, Lois, I forgot to... You know, I'm going on my vacation next week and I've already made arrangements. You know, Clark, Sometimes I think you're jealous of Superman. Could be, Lois. I never thought of it before, but could be. All right. Having watched this show as a kid, there are elements of a lot of episodes that I remember, even if I don't remember the entire episode, kind of blow by blow. Like, as I'm watching a show, I'll remember, like, certain aspects. Like, I mentioned last week for the Big Forget, I remembered the Memory Vapor, and I remembered Henderson Counting. I did. Rem I do remember from when I watched this as a kid on either Channel 9 or Nick at Night, I remembered the scene where Superman got arrested because Henderson found the bent bars. And voila, it's this episode. And, you know, as I obviously, as I watched the show, I, things start to come back to me. So this was another one of those episodes. It's a decent episode of The Adventures of Superman. It's fun. It's a second or third trip this show has taken to the circus. Last time was in Season 5 with the Stolen Elephant, but there's definitely a better effort here. You know, Bob Fisher and I talked about this week. The show had really turned a corner at this point, and we're seeing better stories and more challenges for Superman. And the challenge for Superman here was these three, well, really the two criminals were causing all the trouble. Atlas was just kind of duped to go along because they needed his brute strength. All in all, I thought this was a, you know, a decent episode. Not the best, but... Definitely, you know, C-plus effort. So, the episode starts where all good Superman stories start. They start in Perry White's office, and uh, we're getting right to the point here with Tex Dawson. He's, his money has been stolen, and he can't figure out who, and he can't figure out who's going to get it back. And the circus is going to go out of business if he can't find the money within one week. So, 
it's a race against time as apparently Texas only has enough cash now after the theft to keep the circus going for one more week. So after Perry's office, we go over to the circus and here we see two familiar guest stars, Sid Tomac and Rick Vallon. We've seen Sid Tomac smattered throughout the, I don't want to say the most recent episode I remember him in, but he was definitely in the defeat of Superman. He was the homeless guy who swept up all of the uh, bullets after the uh, Superman walked into the walking door warehouse, and obviously Rick Vallon is uh, probably the most well-known episode he's done is Jimmy the Kid, and he was in Close Shave, and another or two. I didn't note it then, but for those of you who've listened to Man of Screen Extra number 10, Rick Vallon was also in the Batman and Robin movie serial of 1949. He played the radio announcer, Barry Brown. I didn't recognize him at the time of the serial, but when I edited the show a few weeks ago, I recognized his name in the cast list. I had recorded that episode so long ago, it was before I got to any of uh, Fallon's episodes on the regular show. You know, at the very, or at the very least, before I started recognizing his name. Here we got our two main bad guys here. Harmon, and who is the escape artist, and, and Polini is a human fly, which is not a terminology that's really used that much anymore that I know of. But basically, he can climb big buildings. So, and uh, being that the circus is going out, uh, business, they're planning future robberies. So the way they're planning this is, uh, Harmon is planning to hit safes that are in high-rise buildings, and Nini is going to get him to, uh, to those safes. In the next scene, it comes to mind that it's been a while that we've seen Inspector Henderson complaining to Perry about the planet's coverage of the police, but he even admits that he's trying to save face, so it's nice to see Henderson back to, uh, trying to, uh, defend himself to, uh, Perry White. Some of my favorite scenes with Inspector Henderson are ones in which he is kind of yelling at Perry White about the coverage of the police and uh, even though you know that Perry's right to do what he does, I'm always a little bit sympathetic to Henderson as he is our favorite cop on the show. So you can tell these robberies are vexing Henderson as the latest one was on the 32nd story, which is a little too uh, high up for your normal uh, safe cracking job. And here we get our first look at uh, Fellini uh, climbing a building. His character is dressed very well in his fancy suit and dress shoes as he, as he climbs the side of a building. If I were to climb the side of a building, I'm sure that's not the attire I would wear, but it's working for Polini here. Now, obviously, Rick Vallon is not climbing the side of the building. My best guess would be that the, cam- that the camera is turned on its side and the side of the building is actually the floor of the set and Vallon is just kind of crawling across. That would be my guess. And then it's shown that Polini ha- must have some strength to him as he literally pulls Harmon up the side of the building in a rope. And that must be one hell of a long rope if he can toss it down 17 stories. But, you know, poor Harmon. He gets flagged by Superman as he was burgling the safe. So, he's arrested and it's rather humorous uh, that he's afraid to fly. And uh, so, Harmon lands in jail and he stays there for a little bit. You know, the first thing you you would think an escape artist would do is to try to get away, but, you know, we're going to find that he has a reason for wanting to stay in the jail. And if you're wondering why he's staying in there, just, you know, wait a minute. He's uh, claiming to be abducted and pretending that all he knows that he was with Superman, so... As soon as the Daily Planet crew and Henderson walk off, after he's made his claim against Superman, with a quick sleight of hand on the cell door lock, Harmon is gone. The escape artist has escaped. So, here's Atlas now, the uh, circus strongman. Apparently his solution for what to do after the circus is closed is to become a babysitter, which draws a laugh from Polini. You know, Atlas, who's played by Buddy Bear, is just a big guy, 6'7", bulky, gray hair, big muscles. Could you imagine this big, strong guy as a babysitter? That voice would terrify a child. And I wouldn't leave my kid with him. He'd probably break the kid after the first giggle. Just like he almost did to Polini. So, here they are, robbing a vault, and uh, Atlas will bend the bars after they leave. See where this is going yet? Atlas is the typical brainless strongman, and Harmon is taking full advantage of him. Apparently, these burglaries have gotten Henderson into hot water with the police commissioner, to the point where it seemed like his job was on the line. But they get another call for a robbery, and Superman is on his way. You don't dwell a lot on stuff in this show. You just kind of go from one plot point to the next very quickly. As quickly as you can in 25 minutes. So Superman finds the uh, the vault and finds the bars bent, and then Bill Henderson comes in, and, you know, this is all part of Harmon's plan. I mean, they're on the 17th to 30th floor of a building. Uh, the safe has been 
opened with no sign of forced entry. And the only sign of any kind of forced entry is the bars on the exterior of the vault or band end. Who could do all those things except for Superman? You know, so Superman gets arrested and Henderson has every reason in the world to suspect Superman because... I mean, obviously, the only reason he'd have not to suspect Superman is that he knows him and he knows Superman wouldn't do this kind of thing. But look, there's all the evidence. All the evidence stacks up to look as though Superman has done it. So, And knowing he's a suspect, Superman does what you would expect Superman to do. He submits to arrest and doesn't run like some other comics characters might. And, you know, this also puts the circus performers in a little bit of a predicament. Their sole focus is to make it look as though Superman is pulling these jobs and... Now that Superman's in jail, as soon as they commit another one of their robberies, the police will know it's not Superman. But they have time for one more big job. That's all they'll need. But there I was, heaping praise on Superman for all of his virtue. And then we get the real reason he did it. Because he had a plan up his sleeve. Superman connects the frame up to the man who escaped from the jail, Harmon, and he's going to set a trap. Good old Superman always thinking, more so than Henderson sometimes. And he goes along with it as he wants to catch the real criminals. After all, he's been working with Superman for years. He knows Superman wouldn't commit the crimes he's accused of. You know, as you watch this episode, it's really obvious, really from the first time you see him, that Atlas is just really dim-witted. He, like I said before, the typical brainless strongman. He'll believe just about anything that Harmon and Polini say, even if it's nonsense. He's honestly buying that Superman stole the gold ball on top of the flag ball and that they're going to steal it. Although Atlas does remind them that the ball doesn't belong to him. So, but the story about the orphans and the widows is enough to uh, harm him to get Atlas back on his side. And, you know, they do have him leave out words when he talks. You know, it's a lot of Atlas no understand. You know, he misuses words, leaves some out. Just, you know, kind of so he sounds dumb when he talks. It's not enough that you don't understand what he's saying. Just enough that he sounds, at the very least, uneducated. At the very worst, brainless. So here's Jimmy showing up on Harp, doing looking to do an interview to find out what performers do after the circuits closes. I'm not necessarily sure why this is such a big question. You would think if one circus shuts down, there are other circuses out there that these performers would go looking to see if they can find jobs at other circuses. I mean, yes, there's always talk about how the circus is a big family, but at the same time, these guys got to feed themselves, even if they are on the road a lot. So you would think they'd find a job in another circus or Disneyland or something. I don't know. And they wouldn't just leave the business. Harmon offers Jimmy a chance to expose his tricks, and Jimmy actually lets this guy put him in a straitjacket and lock him in a trunk. Probably not one of Jimmy's uh, smartest moves ever. So now in the next scene, Noel Neal flubbed her line, and I guess no one noticed or didn't care. At first, she mentions that Clark is still missing. That's correct. But then later on, she says that Clark is looking for Jimmy. What she probably should have said there is that Perry is looking for Jimmy. And obviously Clark is missing because Superman has been locked in the jail. And this is where they figure it out. You know, when Lois says escape artist with some pride for Superman, and Henderson kind of casually mentions after hearing what Jimmy's story is going to be, that he, just, he says he hopes they don't go on a life of crime because he couldn't imagine an escape artist in his jail. And then it kind of dawns on him that he already had an escape artist in his jail. And that's how everything kind of gets tied together. Apparently they know the circus performers well enough that they know Fellini, the human fly, can get up to the uh, up the sides of the buildings, and they know that Atlas, the strong man, could have pulled, bent those bars like Superman would have. You know, there's no logical reason in story that we know of that they should know all this, but they do. It advances because plot, you know, they have to advance this, and this is not a long episode, 25 minutes. They have to get all their story in, so just a quick plot device to speed the story up. Works here, but I'm not sure it will work in a longer show. So, after all that, it turns out crime is a much easier than finding another job in a circus. And meanwhile, Harmon is filling a vat with water and asks Atlas to put the trunk in the water. And I'm getting a kick out of hearing Jimmy screaming to be let out of there. It gives Atlas some pause, but as soon as Harmon says it's a new ventriloquist act, Atlas just goes along with it. And uh, when Jimmy yells again, Atlas is really impressed with Harmon's ability to throw his voice. Like I said, not very smart. Although I do kind of feel bad for Atlas. He's probably a decent person, you know, he's kind of, he's a, he's a simpleton, but his lack of intelligence is just getting him into a lot of trouble, mainly because he's kind of not smart enough to stay out of trouble on his own. So Superman arrives at the tent after everybody leaves, he finds Jimmy's camera and blazer, and then he finds the trunk, 
And they bring back my favorite x-ray effect here. I haven't seen it in a while, and it's always great to see the little binocular effect coming out of George Reeves' eyes. But they pull Jimmy out of the trunk. And then we go to the Chapman building, and this looks like the exact same set from earlier in the episode. Probably is. Polini climbs to the top of the building, gets the stone, and gives it to Atlas. When Superman meets Atlas on the roof, he notes that they were fooling Atlas. After Superman drops the gold ball down towards him and nearly kills Harmon and Polini. Superman takes Atlas to the ground. George Reeves puts his arm around this huge man in Buddy Bear and jumps to the ground. It's a nice shot seeing uh, Alice bang their heads together while Superman looks on, leaning on the building next door. And then, in a nice ending, we learn that Atlas is going to be released because, you know, like I've been mentioning, he's a simpleton and he's just a dupe. And Superman will help out the circus by performing while Mr. Dawson brings in new wax. Apparently, with his job at the planet, all the crime fighting that he's usually doing, all the charity work, Superman is going to fill in the circus act for however long it takes somebody to get there and fill the, fill the gig. You know, not a bad episode. Like I said, I remember certain things from when I was a kid. The arrest and the... Oh, and also, I really have fond memories of Superman asking Henderson if he can escape. He's like, well, I can officially let you escape, but I can't turn my back and Superman escape. So, solid effort. You know, C, C plus, maybe a B minus. I don't know. So let's take another podcast promo break, and I'm going to be back with George Reeves' directorial debut in The Brainy Burrow. Hang around, folks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast and iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Brainy Burrow. Original broadcast date was April 14th, 1958. Writer was David Chandler, and director was George Reeves. Guest cast included Mark Cavill as Pepe, Maurice Hugo as Tiger, Ken Mayer as Albert, Natividad Vacchio as Inspector Tomeo, Edward Levesque as El Pueblo Blanc President Juan Luque, and Sid Castle as The Waiter. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Daily Planet reporters Lois Lane Clark and Jimmy Olsen are in El Pueblo, Mexico. They are in a restaurant meeting a boy named Pepe. I think I hear her coming now. Tiger, what's with the beast? Albert, you can't expect me to know everything. Hi, Pepe. How's Carmelita tonight? Oh, she is fine, senores. When is not she, senorita Lane? Hello, Pepe. I'd like to have you meet Clark Kent. He's from the Daily Planet, too. How do you do, Pepe? Nice to meet you. I've heard so many interesting things about you. Oh, I am not interesting, senor Kent. It is Carmelita. Oh, and just why is Carmelita so interesting? Well, I will let her show you. Senor Kent, please think. Just think, how many times have you been to Mexico in the last year? All right. All right, I'm thinking. Carmelita? Of all times for Carmelita to goof. Goof? Well, I just happen to know that Clark was only in Mexico once last year. Uh, no. No, Lois, that isn't exactly right. You see, there were a couple of times I was in Mexico last year that you didn't know about. So Carmelita's right. You see, that proves it, Mr. Kent. Doesn't that prove what exactly? Well, Senor Kent, it proves that Carmelita can read minds. Isn't that some trick, Mr. Kent? Oh, no, Senor Olsen. I've told you, it is no trick. We will show you again. If you will think of how old you are, please. 
Carmelita? That's right. 22. I don't know how you do this, Pepe. You sure it isn't some kind of a trick? No trick, senor. Ever since Carmelita was a baby, when I would be doing my arithmetic, I discovered that she is tapping out the answer even before I write it down. Well, if that's true, I agree with Lois and Jimmy. I certainly would like to take you back to Metropolis with us. Oh, I, I don't know, senor. Carmelita and I are happy the way we are. Well, I'm sure you are, but uh, isn't there something we can do about it? Can we talk it over again, at least? Oh, of course, senor Kent. I am making camp just north of town, right where the road makes a fork. Oh, all right. Then uh, how about late tomorrow morning? <laughs> <laughs> we will be there. Buenas noches, senorita. Senores. Good night. Albert and Tiger, two criminals on the lam, have witnessed Carmelita's demonstration for Lois, Clark, and Jimmy. Albert is worried because Clark is a friend of Superman, the man responsible for putting the rest of, the t of Tiger's gang in prison. Tiger, however, has a plan to use Carmelita. Tiger and Albert have given Pepe 200 pesos to do a private performance, which is really a bank robbery. Senor, it does not seem right entering a bank at night. Now, Pepe, I wouldn't have these keys if it wasn't all right for me to be here, would I? I am not so sure, senor. Well, everything's set. You sure he can't hear anything? Nah, the blindfold covers his ears. Besides, I got cotton stuck in him, too. Excellent. Now, Pepe. No, senor. I think something is very wrong. Carmelita and I will not do this demonstration for what you say as a friend. Not even for a thousand pesos? We do not need your pesos. All right, kid. Then you do it for nothing. No. We refuse. I would really hate to see Albert do anything to hurt Carmelita. Hurt Carmelita? Yeah. If I hit her with the car, we might smash our grill. Senor, you would not do that. Believe me, Pepe, he would. Now, will you cooperate? Si, senor. We will do as you say. Good. Carmelita. Don't look at me like that. I could not have you hurt. You see, Pepe, there's a man behind the counter who knows the combination. All right, Albert, get to the safe. You mean we are robbing a bank? Hey, Tiger, suppose the old man ain't thinking about the combination. He will be, primarily because it's the one thing I told him he mustn't do. You see, Albert, it's like me telling you not to think of the word hippopotamus for the next five minutes. Oh. Yeah, but why would I go around thinking about hippopotamuses? All right, let her go, Tiger. All right, Pepe, you may begin. Tell her to wait until Senor Luque gets a chance to start thinking from the beginning. I don't have to tell her, Senor. She knows what you want. Her right hoof. That means two turns to the right. Which way? Left. Two to the right, Albert. Five to the left, Albert. That is all, senor. All right, Albert, try it. Hey, Tiger! There's at least a million hippopotamuses in here. Uh, I mean, bucks! Well done, Pepe. You may go now. You mean we can leave? Certainly. But don't forget, Pepe, if we're caught, you become an accomplice. And they'd put you in jail for at least 10 years, and Carmelita, well, they'd probably have to dispose of her. I, I would take my chances, senor. But Carmelita, I cannot sacrifice her. Hey, Tiger, you just can't let them go. Have no fear from them, Albert. We have more important problems. Like what? Like we need time to turn the pesos into dollars. We're strangers here, Albert, which means we'll be immediately suspected. Now, we must find a method to uh, turn the suspicion away from us for at least several days. Gee, Tiger, you think of everything. Thank you, Albert. I try. I try, Albert. Now, let's collect the uh, <clears throat> hippopotami. The morning newspaper has the story of 
of the theft of the 15 million pesos from the El Pueblo Bank. What's so interesting, Clark? Hey, what's so interesting? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Well, unless my Spanish is more rusty than I thought, we slept right through a real old-fashioned bank robbery. A bank robbery in El Pueblo? That's right. It says here, last night the bank of El Pueblo was robbed of 15 million pesos. Senor Juan Luque, president of the bank, is being held by the authorities. Luque claims he was abducted, but could offer no explanation as to how his abductors got the combination to the safe. 15 million pesos. That's over a million dollars. And probably represents all the life savings of everyone in town. Well, at least we weren't mixed up in it. All those poor people. I wonder if there isn't something I could do to help. Oh, forget it, Clark. Every time you go off on a crusade, Superman has to bail you out. I suppose you're right, Lois. I Isn't it about time for breakfast? <laughs> you have already had breakfast. Oh, Mr. Kent, that was an hour ago. Well, you're just going to have to wait till lunch. Clark and I are going to drive out to see Peppy. Well, that's okay. But I don't think you're going to have far to drive. Well, hiya, Peppy. We're just going over to see you. Won't you sit down? Senor Kent? Did you really mean that about taking us to Metropolis? Well, of course I meant it, Peppy. We are ready to go, then. I immediately, please. What's the rush, Peppy? The sooner we get back, the sooner we've got to go back to work. We have decided to go, so there's no use staying any longer. But, Peppy, these things take time. I have to get your papers ready and all sorts of things. Oh, oh senor, at the border, Carmelita and I can sneak across. Oh, we couldn't do it that way, Peppy. Besides, I'd like a little time. Uh, I want to find out a little bit more about a certain bank robbery. Bank robbery, senor? What bank robbery, Mr. Kent? The El Pueblo Bank, Jim. Clark, what do you think you could do about that? Well, I don't know. I haven't had time to give it much thought. Hey, look. I think Carmelita's trying to say something. Superman symbol, no? That is the Superman symbol, yes. And Carmelita was looking directly at Clark when she drew it. Well, now, Lois, that's that's perfectly simple. Carmelita knows a lot of things that none of us know, Mr. Kent. Maybe even who Superman is. Well, I'm sure there's some logical explanation for all this. Well, if there is, let's hear it. Well, uh, I was thinking of Superman. Now, he knows I'm here, and I was wondering what he'd do about the bank robbery. And Carmelita read my mind. She knew I was thinking about Superman. Well, that figures. I should have known you wouldn't think of doing anything on your own. Senorita, senores, if you are determined to stay here, Carmelita and I must leave you now. Adios, senor. Now, just a minute, Pepe. A few more days can't matter, huh? I'm sorry, senor. We must leave. But, Pepe, I'm sure that we can work... Senor, I'm Inspector Tomeo. Inspector? Of the police. I'm investigating a robbery which occurred last night. Jeepers, we didn't do it. Uh, forgive me, but there are very few strangers in El Pueblo. Consequently, every stranger is a suspect, including you, Pepe. Me? Well, I can understand that, Inspector. Uh, oh, my name is Clark Kent. This is Miss Lane, Mr. Olson, and we'll be very glad to do anything we can to help you. With your permission, uh, Sergeant Castillo and I would like to search your lodgings. Well, search away, Inspector. That one's mine. Mr. Kent and Mr. Olson stay in there. Gracias, senorita. Sergeant. I don't know how they can suspect you. Oh, don't worry, Peppy. As Jimmy says, we didn't do it. They are right to be that way, as 10,000 of the stolen pesos were found in Clark's bungalow. Kent, however, cannot explain this. He has run away to change into Superman. While Lois and Jimmy have been arrested and placed in a cell with Juan Luque, who is also suspected of the crime. As Superman and Inspector Tomeo discuss the evidence in the bank robbery case, Pepe and Carmelita are helping Lois and Jimmy escape from prison. Senorita Lane. Senor Olsen. It's Pepe. Pepe, what are you doing here? I have come to help you escape. You should get involved in this. Senorita, I am already involved. Carmelita and I, we helped rob the bank. A jeepers, Pepe, you don't have to take the rap for us. No, it is true. We were forced to. But I will explain later. Now you must escape. I don't know if we should or not. Oh, well, I'll do anything to get out of here. 
Catch it, Senor Olsen. Throw it up, Senor Pepe. Tie it around the bar, Senor. Jeepers, I hope they don't pull the whole jail down on us. No, Senor. We just pull out the wall. I hope. Well, if you're gonna break out of jail, nothing like doing it in broad daylight, I always say. Now, Carmelita, in the name of Justice, pull! Pull! Come, Carmelita! I fear that my career as a trusted bank president is over. Pull! Pull! Right down there through the alley. Unfortunately, freedom is short-lived. Tiger and Albert have captured Lois, Jimmy, Pepe, and Luque. With Superman unaware of the danger to his friends, there may be no way to save them. Having been left behind by Albert and Tiger because she cannot talk, Carmelita has come to Superman and Inspector Tomeo. She alerts the Man of Steel in her own way that Lois, Jimmy, and Pepe are in danger. The four captives are in a deadly trap. Having lit a natural gas main, Tiger and Albert intend to close the valve one mile up ahead. The resulting explosion from the pressure will kill Luque, Pepe, Lois, and Jimmy. Carmelita has told Superman where to find their friends. Fire is close to reaching the captive group as the Man of Steel arrives. The powerful hero douses the flame that forces the gas pressure back to Tiger and Albert. Fearing being burned, the pair of criminals tries to run off, only to be knocked out by Superman. With everyone safe, Pepe and Carmelita are cleared of any wrongdoing. They are now ready for the trip to Metropolis. Metropolis, here we come. <laughs> With very little help from you, Clark. Yes, I'm sorry. I guess I wasn't much help, Lois. Carmelita, I'd like to make a deal with you. If you won't tell anybody about that insignia with the S on it, I promise you I won't tell any of my readers that you're the only bank robbing borough in the world. Deal? With that, Carmelita concludes her adventure with Superman by winking at the audience. <sighs> Alright, please allow me to say that David Chandler has written some good episodes of The Adventures of Superman. This is not one of them. This is just a terrible episode about a donkey that can read minds. A donkey. For those of you who don't know, Aburo is basically a donkey. He wrote a story about a donkey that can read minds. What inspired him to write this? Mort Weisinger once said that even a bad script can't kill Superman. I guess he would know having supervised some bad scripts in the Silver Age. This is a bad script. The bad story, a bad idea, just nothing good about this episode. Bob Fisher was willing to come on and talk about 3 and 1, but ran for the hills when he knew this episode was attached to it. But he didn't make the commitment, I did. So, here we go. The episode starts off in Mexico, and both Jimmy and Lois are dressed for their location. They are wearing their Mexican wear. Clark, meanwhile, is in his normal suit. Here comes Pepe with uh, his burro, Carmelita. She correctly guesses that Clark has been to Mexico three times, you know, other than the one Lois knew about. Of course, those other times were a Superman, as judged by Clark's uncomfortable look. But then she correctly guesses Jimmy's age. I try to watch the burrows, shimmies, and steps. I didn't find anything that approached 22. If you can decipher that, more power to you. I cannot. So, apparently this burrow that can read minds got Peppy through his exams by tapping out the answers. What a worthwhile thing to use your ass for. <sighs> a mule is a beast of burden, not something to use to pass your test or to have read people's minds. And apparently there is these two Americans at the uh, little bar as well, and uh, apparently Superman broke up their racket, so apparently these guys are from Metropolis, happen to be in the same small, out-of-the-way, backwater-nowhere Mexican town that Lois and Clark happen to be visiting. And they overhear what's going on in the booth with Clark, Lois, and Pepe. And they basically throw 200 pesos at Pepe to perform for a friend. But the mule doesn't want to go. Apparently, Carmelita knows that something is wrong with these men. Pepe, who had to rely on Carmelita to pass his exams, probably should have listened to the donkey at this point. I can't believe I'm talking about this. 
the places these shows take takes you. One day I was talking about how to lead an elephant by the whether you should lead an elephant by the tail or not. Now I'm talking about a jackass that can read minds. <sighs> so they go into the bank at night, but Pepe turns down 1,000 pesos to uh, do the job. Apparently that's over his limit. But when they threaten to run over Carmelita with a car, Pepe uh, backs down and agrees to help them reluctantly. I'm not sure how much uh, a burrow weighs, but I've seen what deers do to cars, and I'm not sure running a burrow down with a car would... While it may kill the burrow, it probably wouldn't do that car any good. Just guessing. So after they get the money from the bank, they let Pepe go. They assume he's not going to say anything because he doesn't want to go to jail and have his mule taken away. Or his burrow. Basically, he's not going to say anything because Tiger will threaten him with 10 years in prison and Carmelita will be taken care of by uh, via vehicular manslaughter. And Tiger. Maurice Hugo's name is Tiger. Who names the character that other than David Chandler? Hey, Tiger. Let's go. Let's go rob this bank. Oh, please. So the next day after the robbery, Clark is reading about it. Like the Daily Planet, these things, these Mexican papers put out awful quickly. There's no way in hell that, and I'm in the newspaper business, there's no way you can turn around a, a late night robbery in time for the morning edition. It's just not possible. Information doesn't move that fast, not even now. Especially out of, out of law enforcement. But I guess we're supposed to believe in this world information does move that quickly. So, Lois is happy to not be mixed up in it, but Clark hopes to help the people who have lost all of their life savings, presumably, in the bank heist. There is no FDIC in Mexico to help with these kinds of things. Here comes Pepe, ready to pack to go to Metropolis. He wasn't very eager to do this yesterday, but he's really eager to get out of town now. Now that he's willing to act, he is so well eager to get out of town that he's actually willing to sneak across the U.S. border. But our heroes, being the law-abiding citizens that they are, are only willing to do it the legal way. And I'm just going to leave that there. I have no interest getting into legal and illegal immigration on this podcast. I still want to have listeners after I'm done covering this episode. If I have to record this thing, you have to listen. It's a deal between you and me. So, while looking at Clark, Carmelita makes the Superman symbol in the dirt, or at least a close facsimile thereof. It's not really, it's not as stylized as, it's basically just a triangle with an S in it. But that makes Lois think that Clark is Superman, and Clark just deflects that, as he's been doing since Season 2, really. And then some cops show up, and apparently Lois, Clark, and Jimmy are suspects because they're visitors. Nice place. I can't wait to visit El Pueblo myself. I'm not going to visit it, because apparently, as you've heard, I can barely say it. So, once again, using my favorite extra vision effect, Clark sees the cops turn up some money from under the bed. And that this gets Lois and Jimmy arrested. Clark kind of slinks away, making himself look very guilty. So, as they go to jail, Superman barges in on the inspector and speaks on Lois and Jimmy's behalf. And I'm going to say this, having watched the rest of the series already at this point. The suit looks really good in these last three episodes. It's a deep, dark blue. The S is nice and red, and the yellow portions finally look yellow again. For too long in season six, even though the stories have improved, the colors on the suit have looked all washed out and dull. The only thing that really kind of stood out was the red on the S. Even the yellows looked white, you know, as sometimes they did in the Christopher Reeve movies. But... It's all looking nice and red. The colors are just great in the Superman suit, you know. George Reeves is, you know, at this point getting a little old. But, and you can see it in his face a little bit. But he still looks good and powerful as Superman. And he's still commanding the screen, that's for sure. And the combination of Superman and the suit just look great. I wonder if the improved suit is a byproduct of George Reeves directing these last three episodes. So now Pepe is planning a jailbreak with his burrow because that's not going to make things worse in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He confesses to help him with the robbery. Lois is unsure about escaping, but she'll do anything to get out of jail. Well, which is it, Lois? Are you unsure about escaping or are you willing to get out of jail by any means necessary? Apparently, she's going to choose the latter. And then she has this weird line about how if she wanted to break out of jail, she'd... Want to do it in broad daylight. Yeah, I'm sure she always says that. So, with Carmelita's help, they get away as she literally pulls down the wall and off they go. Like I said, they're not looking guilty at all. 
you know, perhaps Pepe should have just turned himself in instead of making matters a hell of a lot worse. So Lois and Jimmy, along with the bank owner, should really know better. But they don't. And, well, they don't run into the police, but they run afoul of our two criminals here, Tiger and Albert. Tiger, played by Maurice Hugo, has been in two other episodes. He was Luke Palmer in Joey, and he was slim in Money to Burn. So, while Superman and the Inspector are talking for what seems like forever, it seems like George Reeves kind of, you know, gave himself an easy role in this episode, being that he was also behind the camera as well. You know, he's doing a lot of, a lot of sitting, a lot of just kind of standing around, at least until it's time for him to do his superheroics. He doesn't even do all of those in this episode. We'll get to that later. So, while Superman and the Inspector are talking, they hear a knock on the door, and in comes Carmelita, because Aburo will always knock on these... Mexican inspector's office door before it comes in. Maybe there should be a meme of Carmelita. I don't always show up at the Mexican police inspector's office, but when I do, I knock. Or something along those lines. As Carmelita is clearly the most interesting borough in the world. And here is George Reeves. You know, he's directing himself. He's giving up all pretense of dignity here as he is talking to a donkey. And as he's talking uh, to Carmelita, George Reeves, you know, knows where the camera is, and he does well to hide his right arm, which is on her harness. And when he needs a response, either yes or no, he pulls on it in the uh, direction he needs the donkey's head to go. You know, it's pretty well hidden, so you may not see it, even if you're if you're not looking for it. I mean, I was looking for it, so that's kind of how I saw it. If I was just doing a casual watch of this episode, which is really the only type of watch of this episode I ever want to do again... I probably would miss it because I was doing something other than just giving this episode my undivided attention. I've given this episode my undivided attention at least once to take care of this podcast, and I expect this will be the last time I give this episode my undivided attention. But meanwhile, Superman and the Inspector inspect the jail, and Superman questions Carmelita some more. <sighs> I'll buy a lot of things, but Superman talking to a donkey is not one of them. And there is no land... Uh, based analog to Aquaman, so there's nothing that can talk to animal land life where he talks to sea life. Maybe the Superman can do it, I don't know. I don't think I want to know. I just want to be done with this episode at this point. I'm sure you do too. So, the uh, Tiger's plan is to burn our our beloved main characters alive with the gas main, and the fire gets awful big as Superman approaches and blows out the fire, I think. I think he blows out the fire. And then kind of closes the valve, and after freeing everybody, we see Tiger and Albert, and the valve on their end catches fire. Apparently, Superman backed up the pressure. But before I get to what happens when we Superman arrives with Tiger and Albert, I want to point out something that happens before Superman flies off. I wonder if this was on purpose or not, or if it was kind of something that happened after the fire was extinguished by Superman, and after the you know the VFX guys did their work to tone down the fire. A little piece of the bush next to the pipeline caught fire, and Superman says to the other characters, put that out after I go. I almost wonder, is that Superman? Well, obviously, you know, in-universe, it's Superman telling the characters to put that out after he takes off, even though the force of him taking off should probably put that out. But I, there's a part of me that wonders if that's George Reeves directing the other actors to put that out after he springboards out of the shot. You know, one of those things you'll never know, but just a, you know, just a little curious thing that I wondered about as I saw that, because Superman doesn't generally tell people to put out the rest of the fire before he leaves. He normally takes care of all of it, so. But either way, I liked how he stayed in character to do it, if that's what happened. So, anyway... Superman shows up with Tiger and Albert, and at this point, we're starting to get a little lazy, as I do believe the scene of Superman getting shot is the same exact shot used for Superman's wife, the bored Superman getting shot shot shot, and I do believe that's Mr. Rex's car behind him, and I don't believe I saw Tiger and Albert driving a car at any point during this episode. I guess George Reeves either forgot to set up the shot of himself getting shot, or... Didn't care to. I guess the outdoor scenes are close enough that you can get away with it. I'm... What? You didn't slip it past me. I noticed. And then we get our ending of Pepe going to Metropolis with the Daily Planet crew and they're towing Carmelita. I guess they're going to get her through customs and 
Clark is going to find himself kind of horse trading with Carmelita here at the end. If she doesn't tell people he's Superman, he won't tell anybody that he robbed the bank. The donkey winks, go to black, cue credits, let's get out of here. Thank God I'm done with this episode. Just a terrible episode, and I don't blame Bob for not wanting to be here for it. Although I'd like to. <sighs> so, you can email me at manascreen at gmail.com. Tell me what you're liking about the show, what you're not liking about the show. Tell me how much you hate the Brainy Burrow. Yes, Dave McElvaney, this might be worse than The Dog Who Knew Superman or The Jolly Roger. Oh, my God. This just so dumb. Well, either way, tell me about it. Manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed and the group should come up. And you can find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And you can also leave me a review on iTunes. That'll help others find the show as I'm now on the Two True Freaks feed and not the old Potomatic feed at this point. So, next time, Bob Fisher is going to be back and we're going to cover the final two episodes of the series, The Perils of Superman, and All That Glitters. Until then, folks, see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.